0: Welcome, Applewood, um, to our worship service this morning. I'm excited to worship with you again. And um, and this week, like, haven't gotten a whole lot of sleep, but uh, uh, I've still had enough time to, to read one of my favorite books. It's, uh, it's called My Heart Cries Out. It's just a great devotional book with a bunch of poems in it. And I wanted to read one to you that, uh, that just kind of spoke to me this week. I have a question for you to ponder the rest of the day. So the poem is called Here. You are not absent. You are near. You're not distant. You're here. You're not separate. You hear me. You're not passive. You reign. You don't watch. You intervene again and again and again. You don't sit above what you created. No. You move down among us in grace, glory, wisdom, power, and love to bestow upon broken creatures what we could not earn, what we could not achieve, what we could, what we'll never deserve. You step in this mess we created. You touch what we have broken. You restore what we have destroyed. You give life to what we have killed. You're not absent, you're near. You're not distant, you're here. You're not separate, you hear me. You're not passive, you reign. You don't just watch us, you intervene again and again. And again, and then from Psalm one forty five verse eighteen, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And then, just the question that's here that uh, that I want you to ponder today is: How has the Lord been near and intervening in your life recently? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, just a bright day outside. It, uh, it just brings so much um, hope that we can uh, see your creation and see that you are close to us and near to us and just giving us um, encouragement, even in these isolated days that we have. Uh, Father, as we worship with you today, just Allow us to tune our ears to your voice and our hearts to your heart. Amen.
1: Oh, good morning, Applewood family. Sharice and I are going to have to quit doing this together because (laughs) we sit and cry together. Oh, my goodness. Allie, thank you for those songs. So precious. So precious perfect for this morning. That last song communicates what I hope to, and I think it may do a better job than I, but oh, brothers and sisters, we miss you. I miss you, and I know that you miss one another. God is with us in these times, and there are moments when I feel it more than others, but we rejoice in his faithfulness and in his goodness. Oh, let's pray together. Father, we are Grateful for this time together, though apart. Thank you for the technology that allows us this. We can see each other's faces and hear voices. We can sing together. We can worship together. Holy Spirit of God, you live in and through us. You bind us together with or without technology. And so we ask now that you would. Open our hearts, open our minds to the possibilities of what you want for us to take from your word this morning. We are are so grateful for your word, unchanging truth in times that are just filled with all kinds of change. Thank you. Thank you for the blessing of your love, your grace, your presence in this time that we share together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I read an absurd story this week about a woman who had purchased a succulent plant. Now, she was very pleased with her plant. In her words, I was so proud of this plant. It was full, beautiful coloring, just an overall perfect plant. And she describes her her watering plan for it. She says that she would not let anyone else water it because it was a succulent and and she was particular. In her words, I absolutely loved my succulent. So one day, it was ready to be transplanted. She decided it was time to move it to a larger pot and she got the surprise of her life. Again, in her words, I put so much love into this plant. I washed its leaves, tried my hardest to keep it looking its best. And I discovered that it's completely plastic. When I pulled it from the container, it's sitting on styrofoam with sand glued to the top. That is a true story, brothers and sisters. And at the risk of sounding just a little bit harsh and I don't want to, it's like, really? Did you not get a clue when you watered that plant as the water just kind of ran over the sides and sat on the top? Well, what's the old saying? Things aren't always as they seem, right? And that is certainly true. You know, we had been thinking all along with the nice weather that it was spring, enjoying the warmer weather, and then last Wednesday and Thursday, we got 8 to 10 inches of snow with single-digit temps for a couple of nights. Things aren't always as they seem. And we can go out to the store these days. If we go out to the store these days, we wear masks and we wear gloves. The store looks pretty much like it always does. Seems pretty safe. But oh, in these COVID days, no, no. We know that things aren't always as they seem. We are in the Western Church calendar season called Eastertide. That means that we're still celebrating Easter. Shall we say it? Shall we? Christ is risen!
2: He is
1: risen indeed. Oh, I saw a few mouths move. Let me say that one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is. So welcome to the post-resurrection days in the life of Jesus and his first followers. And I'm hoping that you will join me for about six Sundays of Eastertide as we look at some of these familiar stories recorded for us in the Gospels leading up to Jesus' return to the Father. And then 10 days after that, Pentecost happened. We'll be reminded that the resurrection changed forever, everything, for those original followers. And then Pentecost comes 10 days later, and it pretty much just blows the top off of life as they knew it. And I've chosen for us to to spend some time in the stories of this 40-day post-resurrection period because I think there are some really valuable lessons that Jesus taught his original followers. And of course, my hope is that we can perhaps get inside their heads a little bit, try to feel some of their emotions, um, confusion, be confronted with with the mystery of the risen Jesus and, and learn some of their lessons for ourselves because I believe that they are in God's word for them and for us because in those days things were certainly not as they seemed. Now you'll remember the last couple of months as we journeyed with Jesus through Mark's gospel, the whole idea of faith, belief, Trust, they are interchangeable words. A couple of them are the same word. Faith, belief, trust in and about the kingdom of God was central to Jesus' teaching. We saw many times what of kingdom of God values and the values that drive the kingdoms of our world. Believe the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus. This is the way it is, and you have to have faith that it's true. So it should come as no surprise to us that faith and believing are very much a part of these post-resurrection stories as well. We encounter the risen Lord Jesus, and once again, the disciples are confronted with the absolute necessity of believing. In his book titled, The Gospel Driven Life, Michael Horton writes the following about the birth of his triplets. He says, anxiously anticipating the quite premature delivery, I will never forget the moment that the doctor looked at me and announced, they're alive. That was not a foregone conclusion, at least for one of them. And until that report, my wife and I were in suspense. All of the wishful thinking, even from certified medical professionals, could not alleviate that suspense, turning possibility into actuality. I could believe all I wanted in a successful delivery. But I had no promise to rely on, either from God or the doctors. And the intensity of my believing, it had nothing to do with the state of affairs. My confidence developed entirely on the words that the doctor uttered. Similarly, the gospel is news because it reports a completed event. Faith does not make something true but embraces the truth. Brothers and sisters, that's what we want to do throughout this post-resurrection story journey. We want to we want to see the truth and we want to embrace the truth. And this morning, we want to look at the first post-resurrection encounter of Jesus by a woman named Mary Magdalene. Now, all four gospels mention her by name as one of the women who came to the tomb early on the first day of the week, the the original resurrection Sunday. We're going to read John's account of that this morning. We're going to start at the very first part of John 20 verse 1 and we're going to read through verses 18 and Charissa just happens to be at church here with me this morning, so I've asked her if she would read for us.
2: Early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus he asked her woman why are you crying who is it you are looking for thinking he was the gardener she said sir if you have carried him away tell me where you have put him and I will get him Jesus said to her Mary She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, Mm -hmm. to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Do you ever wonder if John who is the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself. John really maybe wasn't that much faster than Peter. I've often wondered if maybe Peter just had a a moment's recollection and remembered that Jesus said something about rising from the dead, and and he was remembering what he had done, and maybe there was some fear, and he was not all that excited to get to the tomb. That'll be one of our other stories, and we'll, we'll get to that. Perhaps you've heard the uh, the old story about Mary Magdalene that was first written down. As we best know it, it comes from the 13th century. The story goes that after the resurrection of Jesus, Mary Magdalene traveled to France where she lived in a cave near Marseille for 30 years as a way to do penance for a life of prostitution. Now in later years, Magdalene became synonymous with a reformed prostitute or promiscuous woman. In the 18th century through the 20th centuries, Magdalene asylums housed fallen women in Ireland. Sometimes they were institutionalized with their illegitimate children. These church-sponsored workhouses purported to provide shelter and income, but by the 1990s they were embroiled in scandal. Women vulnerable for all sorts of reasons had been hidden away and had Ended their stay in a mass grave. Nobody really knows why that story uh, began to to grow and be circulated. Um, It's how Mary Magdalene, for many, has been characterized uh, through the centuries. Though there is no biblical text, really, that, that indicates she was a prostitute. In the sparse references that we have of her, we learn that she traveled with Jesus and supported him financially. That she was present at his crucifixion and burial. And as we just read, she was the first witness to the empty tomb. The first to encounter the risen Lord. And in all four Gospels, she brings news of the resurrection to the other disciples who were hidden away in fear. It's safe to say that Mary loved Jesus. The most poignant fact that we know about Mary Magdalene is that Jesus delivered her from seven demons. Mark and Luke both include that in their accounts. Think about that for just a moment. Seven demons. Seven demons. And we have evidence in the Gospels that that one demon does plenty of damage to a person's life. What kind of wreckage is left after seven demons have taken control. We'll we'll come back to that in just a moment. So Mary arrives at the tomb. John tells us that it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed. Immediately she took off running to tell Peter and John. What does she tell them? He is risen just as he said he would, right? No. No, she said they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Mary assumes that the authorities have taken the body. She believes Jesus is dead. She watched him die. She may have been at the tomb when Lazarus and Nicodemus laid his body in there and and after Peter and John left, Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she'd been overlooking the tomb and saw the angels. John uses words for Mary's crying and weeping, that are words often translated as wailing. Mary wasn't just sniffling. Mary was sobbing uncontrollably. When the angels asked her why, she said, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. Let me ask you again. How much human wreckage is caused by seven demons? All through the Gospels, we see people controlled by demons. Because that's what demons do. They take control. A person's life is no longer their own. And demons pour all kinds of venom and evil into the life of a human being so that they say and do things that they would not normally say. What had they done to Mary? Had they caused her to be so crazy that any family she had left her? Did she have children? Perhaps who'd been taken away for safety's sake. Had she been driven from the town where she lived, like the demon-possessed man we saw in Mark's gospel, lived in the Gadarenes, among the tombs, forsaken and feared by others? was, Was Mary disfigured because the demons had caused her to harm herself? We don't know. But given what we do know, Mary's life, especially as a woman, living in that first century, possessed by seven demons, whether at the same time or at different times, we don't know. The point is, her life had been a hopeless wreck. Why are you crying? Because they have taken my Lord away. Jesus was Mary's Lord. That word meant he was the one who now controlled her life. Mary was indebted to Jesus for the rest of her life because he had set her free and had given her a life worth living. My sisters and brothers, how about us? Do we feel a sense of indebtedness to Jesus Christ for setting us free from the bondage of of sin and death? Do the theological truths that we know from living on this side of the completed New Testament teachings, do do those truths grab our hearts? Do they cause us to to wonder in awe at this Lord who would do this for us? Do they spur in us a sense of, of debt to the one who died and rose again for us? Mary didn't know that. But what she did know at that point was that Jesus had healed her hopeless life. And she desperately, desperately wanted to get one last look at his dead body. And even though she had forgotten his promise to rise again and believed that he was dead, Jesus showed up. I love that. And she thought he was the gardener until he spoke her name. And it seems as though his appearance had changed a bit. Remember, things aren't always as they seem. But no one, no one said her name like Jesus did. Now there's all kinds of speculation in the commentary world as to why she didn't recognize him. Some say that she was crying so hard that that she couldn't see clearly. She was crying very hard, sobbing uncontrollably. Things may have been a bit blurry, but but I think it was more than that. I side with the perspective that that this was Jesus' resurrection body. The mysterious presence of the divine was filling a vessel of flesh in a way that no one had ever seen in Jesus' pre-resurrection life. except for maybe the transfiguration. And remember, she thought he was dead. But the resurrection, the resurrection changes everything. And so Mary realized it with Jesus, and and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Now John chooses to tell us that that term means teacher. Teacher. But some scholars suggest that a very literal translation of that word, Rabboni, means, my dear Lord. Mary's response, when she hears that voice that calls her name like no other, is, my dear Lord. And so more than likely, she threw herself on the ground at his feet and clung to them. She'd found the one who had given her life. It was a very humble thing for her to do, to to wrap her arms around his feet. And and notice, notice that Jesus didn't chide her for thinking that he was dead. She grabbed hold of him, probably thinking that, I've lost you once and this is not going to happen again. But he said to her, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So here's your question for the morning. Give some thought if you're by yourself, if you're with someone, talk about it with them. Why do you think Jesus said that? Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So take a minute or two, think about it, talk with someone about why Jesus said that. All right. Justin, do we have any comments? I'm not exactly sure how this works, folks. So I'm just going to stand here and stare into the screen (laughs) until I see something change. Who's raising a hand? Any hands raised? It's okay if there aren't. Go ahead, Doug. Oh, Doug. Is that Doug Benson? Yes. Go, Doug. I was actually, it's my neighbor who's commenting, but uh, my neighbor- Oh. (laughs) Not the neighbor next uh, door, the neighbor that lives with you. (laughs) The
0: neighbor living with me. Okay. So, so, my neighbor's thought was, that there was nothing wrong with her holding on to him in in the state that he was in, uh-huh. uh, but that
1: uh, it wasn't something that would be a permanent
0: solution. He wasn't there to stay. Yeah. His work wasn't finished. Yes, um,
1: yes. and we
0: see yes. the that that he is going to ascend. He will no longer be there in that physical iteration of himself, mm-hmm. but that then the Holy Spirit will be sent. His presence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good response. Thoughtful response. Thank you. Anyone else, Justin?
0: Yeah, we got Sonia and then Jill Richmond. Okay, Sonia, go. And then Jill. Well, I guess the first thought
3: that came to my head is that's our tendency, I think, is to Hold on to things. Yeah, the way Absolutely. they are, you know. And um, yeah, God is always at work. And I don't know, with me, kind of going through this new chapter. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, but uh, you don't need to you know. It, it's like this is a new chapter.
1: Yeah,
3: without my brother, yeah. and um, with Jesus. There were things that could not happen until his death, and um, that's with my brother. We're seeing like this amazing fruit Mm -hmm. that we can't stop to think, what if? Because that was not going to happen with him here. It's happening now, and so God's always at work, so it's like, don't hang on to those things. Mm -hmm. He is still at work Keep looking forward, keep trusting him, and, um, and believing.
1: Good. Good stuff. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Jill. You want to chime in? Are you there, Jill? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Lee. Me.
0: It's yeah. Lee. Okay. You know, Jesus had to return to the Father so he could send the Holy Spirit. Yes. And it's the, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do yes. what Jesus commands us to do. Yes. Um, and so I I think he was trying to be clear that, you know, his his work on earth was, uh, he had done what he came <laughs> to earth to do. Yes. And yeah. now there's a, a new chapter. Yes. Yes. Um, unfolding
1: yes right on right on let me let me jump on that one and and and, and continue on because that that just leads us right into uh, these next thoughts i think i think you're those of you who have taken us down that path are just spot on i think the key to understanding what jesus meant comes through the message that he gave mary to take to the others i'm returning to my father and your father i'm returning to my god and your god all through our journeys on Mark's Gospel, we saw urgency in Jesus. He was, he was on a mission. And I think Jesus, the Eternal Son, knowing that he has completed his mission on earth, is eager to get back to the fellowship of the Trinity. And he just has a few more things that need to be done. I think it's interesting that the message is about his father and their father, his God and their God, with the resurrection complete. The work of atonement is done. He's done what was necessary for all who follow him in faith to live into a relationship of intimacy with God as Father. For sure, Jesus referred to God as their Father at times in their life together as he was teaching. He certainly taught them to pray, pray our Father. But those, in a sense, were a preview of a privilege that was coming. And now for the first time, it's real. The process is done. The adoption process is complete. Those who put their faith in Jesus become the children of God. Jesus is not saying to Mary, as some assume and dislike, Mary, don't touch me. No, he's still on a mission. He's eager to complete his time on earth And he is saying, as you all have suggested, Mary, don't cling to me in hopes that things are going to be like they were, because they're not. I will be leaving soon, and everything is going to be new. And if we hearken back to his words to the disciples in John, about chapter 16, he talks about how it's better for them that he goes, so that the Comforter can come. We need to understand, really understand, and take into our hearts, the resurrection has changed everything. The day of Pentecost was coming when when each one of those original followers would be filled with the presence of the Spirit of God, which of course means the Spirit of Jesus. How else would he keep his promise to them when he said at the Great Commission to, to go into all the world and make disciples knowing that that he would be with them always to the ends of the earth sisters and brothers it has it has happened and we are a part of that we are living in the post resurrection age in fact we are living in the post pentecost age i just want to i want to close with a couple of questions and and talk through them just very very briefly together are we are we living with a sense of indebtedness to Jesus. Am I living with a sense of indebtedness? Or are, are you living with a sense of indebtedness? I, I love that poem that, that Justin opened our service with this morning, talking about how, how we have we have wrecked the earth. We have wrecked one another. Are we living with a sense of indebtedness for what Jesus has done or Or are we simply satisfied with the truth that he paid for our sins and now we can go to heaven? And I think, I think what will really determine the difference is whether or not we see ourselves as Mary Magdalene. Now, we may not have ever been demon possessed, but brothers and sisters, we were sin possessed. We were in bondage to sin. That's Paul's language to the Romans. He talks about the bondage to sin, slavery to sin. And he describes that for those who have not put their faith in Jesus. And apart from that faith, it is a hopeless, life-wrecking situation. But those who put their faith in the risen Lord, they receive the gift of the Spirit. And that Spirit lives in us to remind us that Jesus, though gone, is with us. The Spirit reminds us not to hold on to things of the past, nor to weep in despair at the way things are. No, He encourages us and strengthens us to live with confidence and fearlessness for our resurrected Lord, who, by the way, knows our names he knows our names nobody says our names like jesus the resurrected lord now don't misunderstand i i i don't intend to communicate that it's that it's wrong to be satisfied with what jesus has done for us no no we want to be satisfied it's essential but but we don't want to just stay there that sense of, well, good, this is what Jesus has done for me, and now I live my life. No. No, Mary Magdalene is our example of the one who who has fallen at the feet of our risen Lord in awe that he has taken the wreck of our human existence and made us a child of God. I believe he desires for us to live in awe of that truth to live, to live as if he really is alive, to live as if he truly is through his spirit, living in us, showing up in places, working in lives and circumstances to bring good and to bring change and to bring hope. We're living in what feels like an even more broken world these days than we have known. It's important for us to remember that Lord Jesus is alive. He's chosen to live through those of us who have been touched by his grace, for whom the seal of adoption has been placed upon us, as a result of the resurrection and the coming of his spirit into our lives. That means that every day, every day we spend under the control of this stinking virus is a day that we have the opportunity to remember that things aren't always as they seem. God is at work. God has brought hope to us. God has brought salvation to us. The God who knows our name shows up in our lives again and again and again through the work and the presence of his spirit. May we be people who look for that and live for that for his glory. Let's pray. Oh Father, <clears throat> we are so grateful for Your presence in and through our world. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that You were willing to leave <clears throat> the eternal glories of life with Father and the Spirit, come down and wrap Your fle- our, our f- frail flesh around Yourself and live a life of sacrifice and suffering and ultimately death in order to open the doors for us to come back into the relationship for which we were created. And Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for you because you indwell us. You are the reminder of truth. You are the comforter. You are the encourager and the teacher. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, awesome God, we thank you that we live this life in these crazy, uncertain days with your presence at all times. We pray for eyes and hearts, emotions that look for you, that see you, that respond to what you're doing and what you are calling us to. That mission, that mission that is happening because the God of Jesus is our God. The Father of Jesus is our Father. We give you praise and thanks. Amen. Hey, Applewood family, I have to tell you, Teresa just said to me a moment ago, I don't believe Mary spent 30 years in a cave in France. And I said, neither do I. I hope you didn't come away with that impression. Just a story that's found its way through the church, starting in about the 13th century. In the same way that I don't believe she spent her life living in a cave because she knew the life and the power of the risen Lord Jesus, I think that despite how it may feel some of these days as we live in uh, sheltering at home and social distancing, it may feel kind of cave-like. We're not in a cave. We have the presence of God with us. Let me close these words from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, therefore, sisters and brothers at Applewood Community Church, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. whom he has given us. My brothers and sisters, let's remember to encourage one another with that truth in these days. Amen. Well, blessings to you on your week to come. Thanks again for joining us for worship.